Last Wednesday night, we talked about the subject of faith, and we want to just continue that tonight and to give you some very basic teachings on the subject of faith. What I've learned over the years, even though if you might have been like me, grew up in church, and you understand the term faith, you, you recognize the term, it's not a strange term to you. In fact, Christianity is often called the faith. And a lot of times we'll talk to people and we'll ask them, are, are you in faith? Are you staying in faith? Uh, how's your faith? And we use the term faith quite frequently. It's a, it's a term we use a lot in our spiritual lingo for us Christians. But I've discovered, and I discovered my own self, that even though I knew the term faith and I recognized the term faith and I sang about faith and I talked about faith and I prayed about faith and I, I even taught for years on faith, and preached about faith, I didn't know what faith was. I really didn't have a working definition of faith. I couldn't make it correlate to my life. I knew what it was. I knew it was in the Bible, and I knew I was supposed to have it, but I didn't know what it was. I didn't know how to make it work. I didn't know how to get more of it. I didn't know how to release what I had. I didn't know any of the dynamics or the principles of faith. I knew all the Bible stories, and I knew the Bible characters, but I couldn't get God's Word to work for me. And the promises wasn't working. And I'd pray for them, and I'd cry for them, and I'd beg for them, and I'd see some other people, God blessing them and fulfilling His promises. And I was going to church, and I lived a good life, but I couldn't get it to work. I couldn't get the promises to work. And the missing ingredient wasn't prayer. The missing ingredient wasn't Bible reading. The missing ingredient for me wasn't church attendance. The missing ingredient for me was I didn't have a working knowledge of faith. God's a faith God. God operates in the arena of faith. He doesn't operate in the arena of fear. He doesn't operate in the arena of need. Well, if you need it bad enough, God will come through. No, there's a lot of people that need stuff and God never comes through for them. He operates in the arena of faith. And if we're going to receive what God has for us, we get in His arena, which requires us to be people of faith. If you want to hear a serious XM channel, it's out there. It's moving right now. They're playing something on every XM serious channel out there. But if you're not connected to it, you're not going to get to enjoy the benefits of it. Likewise, you can know Jesus and ask Him to be your Lord and Savior, but and He's moving, and He's pro- promising, and He's blessing, and he's, he's pouring out things, and He's healing, and He's delivering, and He's providing. But if you and I are not hooked up by faith to what He's doing, uh, we're not going to ever enjoy the benefits that He's promised. So, I, 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 I went on a pursuit of what is faith. How do, you, how do you release it? How do you get it to work? How do you activate faith? And uh, so some of these basics that we began talking about last week, and uh, we want to continue tonight, I want to teach you that it's faith, so that faith will be more than just a term. It'll be something that's real in your life. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance 
about what we do not see. And, and, and the King James says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And you would ask people, and I'd ask people, and people would ask me, Well, what's faith? Well, it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Well, what's that mean? What does that mean? What does it really mean? How does that work tomorrow on Thursday when you need something? What is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen? So what is faith? And we've got to learn what faith is. So what is faith? Last week I shared this with you. According to Bynes Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words, faith is a persuasion. Faith is a firm persuasion. Faith is a conviction based upon what you have heard. Faith is simply, this is getting it real raw here, where we can understand. Faith is simply what you believe. What is faith? Well, it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of not things not seen. Stop that. You don't know what that means. Faith is simply what you believe. That's what faith. If people ask you, what's faith? It's what you believe. If they ask you, are you in faith? That means you are, you are a believer. Faith is simply what you believe. That's why the Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. What does it mean? We're walking by what we believe, not by what we see, not by what we hear, not by what we feel. Turn with me real quickly to Matthew chapter 9. You can go through the New Testament and the word believe and faith are often interchanged. They're often interchanged. Notice what it says in Matthew chapter 9 verse 27. After Jesus left the girl's home, two blind men followed along behind him, shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us. Verse 28, Matthew chapter 9, verse 28. They went right into the house where he was staying, and Jesus asked them. Now notice what Jesus asked them. Do you believe, do you believe I can make you see? Yes, Lord, they told him, the blind men said, we do. Then he touched their eyes and said, because of your what? faith, it will happen. What, notice what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, do you have the faith that I can make you well? He said, do you believe? And they said, yeah, yeah, we believe. And he says, then, then according to your faith. See, faith is simply what you believe. Faith is what you believe. Faith is a persuasion. You're persuaded of something. Not only are you persuaded because somebody talked you into it, it's a firm persuasion. Faith is a conviction. I'm, this is, I believe this. Regardless of what I see, regardless of what I hear, regardless of what I feel, I believe this. It's a conviction. You live your life according to that conviction. You talk according to that conviction. You dream according to that conviction. That's faith. That's faith. Faith is a persuasion. It's a firm persuasion. It's a conviction based upon what you heard. Faith is simply what you believe. And Jesus says, do you believe that I can heal you blind guys? And they said, yeah, Lord, we believe you can heal us. He said, well, then your faith's working, 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 working. Your faith. All right? So that's what faith is. The element, now remember this, the element that enables the promises of God written in the Bible to become reality in our life is faith. Faith is the trigger. You got all these promises. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. I am the God that healeth thee. 
We've got all these promises. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. It'll make alive your mortal body. All these promises. I'll watch over your children. No evil shall befall you. No plague can come nigh you. The angels of God are going to camp about you. All these promises that are, have been written for us and promised and given to us. And the trigger that makes those promises become a reality in our life is not church attendance. It's not even prayer. It's not tithing. Although I wish that was part of the trigger that makes those promises become a reality in our life is faith it's faith so it's important it's 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 necessary that we understand faith have faith increase our faith release our faith activate our faith so faith is a persuasion it's a firm persuasion it's conviction based upon what you've heard I look back here, I can't help, Amanda and I often draw encouragement in moments when our faith is tested. You know, when you hear that, you hear that phrase, well, my faith is being tested. Or, and what's that saying? What I'm seeing and what I'm feeling is different than what I believe. So my faith is being tested now. My believing's on the auction block and what I'm feeling is carrying more power and what I'm seeing is carrying more ammunition than what I believe. And my faith is being tested. And there have been times that our faith over the years, Amanda and I have been tested. There have been times in the last several months that we've gone through some things and and our faith has been tested. And, And we draw strength when we look at some of your lives. We look at Susan Cleveland and and her faith, her faith, her body said, uh, the doctor said, you, you, you've got stage three cancer, four cancer, and, and this is not good. I was there when the doctor said that. And uh, the friends come around, oh, that's bad, you know. And, and, and her body was saying, you're not going to make it. But she was firmly convinced. See, faith is a persuasion. It's a... It's a firm persuasion. It's a conviction based upon what she has heard. She was, she has, was, and continues to be every day convinced that God's promise is more powerful than any symptom. That God's promise is what she's going to put her confidence in, not what she feels. Now see, that's faith. That's faith. And to be honest with you, most of us don't get to that depth. We let other people talk us out of our conviction. We let our symptoms talk us out of our conviction. We let uh, what we see talk us out of our persuasion. We change our mind and we give in to it and start speaking doubt and unbelief. And that's the reason many of us cannot trigger the promises of God. Because faith is that persuasion that firm persuasion, that conviction based upon what you've heard about what God's promised, faith is simply what you believe. And the element that enables the promises of God that are written in the Bible to become a reality in our life is our faith. And faith will always speak contrary to what you feel. 
And faith will always speak contrary to what you see. And faith will always speak contrary to what you hear. All right? Faith. How does faith come? How do you get it? Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes. How does it come, Paul? He wrote this. Paul says faith comes. How does it come? It comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Let me give you an example. Turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, verse number 25. Mark chapter 5, verse 25. You know this passage. It says, A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had, uh, this is the NIV, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. Now, not Dr. Not Dr. Myers. He's, he's never misdiagnosed anything. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, when she did what? Heard. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his coat because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you. I mean, there was dozens of people that were touching him. But one touched him according to her conviction of what she heard. One touched him according to her persuasion. She was persuaded, if I can just touch him, I'll be healed. She was persuaded that when she touched him, she would be healed. Her persuasion was not... If I touch him, I'll be healed. Her, persua- her conviction was, I t- all I have to do is touch him. That's, that's my challenge, is to touch him. Get through this crowd and touch him. If I can get through this crowd and touch him, I'll be healed. How did she get that persuaded? Because of what she'd heard. You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your what? Faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Have you ever noticed what he didn't say? He didn't say, daughter, I healed you. He didn't say, daughter, I healed you. He didn't say, daughter, uh, the power of God healed you. He didn't say that, although that was included. He said, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Faith is the element that triggers the promises of God that are written in the Bible that are meant for us. It's faith that triggers that. So, as Christians, faith should be a lifestyle. It's not something you just activate when you come to church. Faith is a lifestyle. Look over to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Notice what the Apostle Paul said. He says, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. One translation says the the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God at work. Notice the gospel is the power of God at work. The gospel is the power of God at work. I'm going to tell you, if you ever run upon a test in your life, and we run upon tests all the time, but if you ever get into a real test, a real struggle, and you don't know what to do, just get out the Bible and start reading it. 
Notice what it says. For I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work. What is? The gospel, the Bible. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. Now notice what he says. This is accomplished from start to finish by what? Faith. In other words, it's a lifestyle. It's not just something we pump ourselves up emotionally as Pentecostals and get all pumped up and have an emotional hallelujah. It's not just that. Faith is something we live every single day. It's something you live at work. It's something you live at home. It's something you live behind closed doors. It's something you live in public. It's what you say. It's how you act. Faith. It's a lifestyle. He says it's, it's from start to finish. It's by faith. So faith for the child of God is a lifestyle. Here's another basic principle. Christians are to walk by faith, not by sight. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 7 in the New Living Translation. What is faith? Faith is what you believe. Well, look at what the New Living Translation says. For we live by believing and not by seeing. We live by believing and not by seeing. We live by believing. What is faith? It's simply what you believe. Another translation, the King James says, we walk by faith, not by sight. The New Living Translation says, we walk by what we believe, not what we see. We walk by what we believe, not what we see. I remember when I really learned this lesson when it come to faith and finances. Um, I learned this lesson when we were broke. And back in 1985, Amanda and I had gone to that little church in Allgood, Tennessee, and they didn't... Uh, the first year we finished in 1984, our first full year of ministry there, at the end of the year, December, the last financial statement for the month, we ended the year, and we were shouting victory. We ended the year with $28 in the bank. Excited about it. Hallelujah. Because the year before, they were in the red. They were up there doing one of these things. Who will take the electric bill this month? Who will take the... Who'll take this bill? Who'll take this bill? Who'll take the insurance bill? Passing them out in the congregation to try to get people uh, to pay for them. And that's a pretty good deal. I think I'm going to do that Sunday because we have the, the $9,000 church payment. Who'll take the church payment this month? Bubba will take that. Isn't it amazing how he wants to bless you so much? I tell you, these music guys, they'll bless you in a heartbeat. They'll, so, they'll volunteer you for ministry every time. You've got to watch them. But we, we had $28 to our name. The church payment was $1,344.87 a month in 1984. The banker called me every Monday, wanted to know what the offering was. If the offering was $500 a week in the offering, he knew that the payment would be made. He didn't care if I got paid. He just wanted to make sure we had $500 a week. That's $2,000 a month. The payment was $1,344.87. We'd keep the utilities on, and he could get paid. And it was during that season that, you know, I was saying, Lord, I'm in your will. I'm doing what you want me to do. I'm, I'm loving people. I'm preaching. I'm studying. But the money wasn't coming in. We were broke. We were still broke. And then one day I found 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Out of desperation, 
2 Corinthians 9, 6 said, And God is able. I found it in my King James Bible. God is able. Well, what's he able to do? God is able. What does it say in 2 Corinthians 9, 6? No, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. All right, what does it say? I'm in the CEB. You're in the CEB. Is that the common edition of Bubba? Yes. The CEB. God is able. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Try 7. Try 8. God is able. Go to 8. Go to 8. God is able to make all grace abound toward you. All grace abound toward you. I found that scripture. God is able. What's he able to do? To make all grace abound toward you. Grace. I didn't even under 1984. I didn't even know what grace was. And I was a pastor. Didn't even really understand what grace was. According to Bynes Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words, which was my only book of study, grace means the sum, S-U-M, of earthly blessings and the power and equipment needed for ministry. God is able. What's he able to do? To make the sum of earthly blessings and the power and equipment needed for ministry to abound toward us so that we'll have a sufficiency. What does that word sufficiency mean? It means you'll have enough. You'll have enough in all things and may be able to abound to every good work. You know what that scripture says? That God is able to give you everything you need to live your life, to accomplish His plan and to do His will. For your life. People ask me all the time, what is prosperity? Prosperity is simply having enough to do the will of God for your life. Prosperity is not a certain car or not a certain house or not a certain amount in the bank account. Prosperity is having enough to do the will of God for your life. The Bible says in the book, Epistle of John, I will that you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. What is God saying? I want you to have enough to do my will for your life. Now, prosperity for a single mom is different than prosperity for a business owner. Prosperity for a business owner with employees is having enough to be able to pay his employees and take care of his business. Prosperity for a single mom is maybe just being able to buy those children food and clothing and school supplies and put back a little bit to pay their rent and things of that nature. So prosperity has nothing to do with amounts. Prosperity is simply having enough to do the will of God for your life. And the Bible says that God is able to make all sum of earthly blessings and power and equipment needed for ministry to abound, abound, abound. That word abound in the Greek means to exceed a certain number. To abound toward you so that you and I will have a sufficiency in all things and have an abound or have an abundance to every good work. He's saying God's will for your and my life is to give us enough finances to meet our needs and not only meet our needs but to give us extra so we can be a blessing to somebody else. And we had, we had made $15 commitments in 1984 to three missionaries, $15 a month. We said, we're going to give you $15 a month in 1984, three missionaries, and we got behind. We got, uh, my first purchase I made at that little church was stationary. We didn't even have a typewriter. I borrowed a typewriter from a lady in the church. But it was stationary. And it, the stationary cost us $90, and I took three months to pay it off. 
And I borrowed one of those typewriters. Does, do y'all know what a typewriter is? I forget. I date myself. I borrowed, this was in 1984. I borrowed a typewriter, and it was, it wasn't an electric typewriter. It was a manual typewriter. Do you remember? And them arms would fly up there. And here's the crazy thing. I didn't know how to type. But I needed to send out a visitor letter. That visitor letter was wide out all over that. But you remember what wide out is? Anybody remember what wide out is? It was bad. But I found this verse of scripture. And I started believing it every day, regardless of what the offering was. Started believing it every day, regardless of what the offering was. And they'd take the offering and the ushers on Sunday after the church service, they'd say, Pastor, we didn't get enough. You're not going to get paid this week. And my faith was tested. I wanted to give in to what I heard. I wanted to stop believing. I wanted to give in to what I saw, but I would say to them, God is able. God is able to give us a sufficiency in all things and abound to every good work. It might not have come in the offering today, but we're going to get it one day and we're going to exceed anything you've ever imagined. And they'd look at me and say, you have lost your mind. A lack of food and nutrition has hindered your ability to think. Twenty years later, because of that one verse of Scripture, and believe in it regardless of what we saw. $65,000 a week was coming in the offering. The last year I was there in 2003, over $3,600,000 came in in one year. And we, in 1984, 19 years earlier, we finished the year with $28. And 19 years later, when I left there, they had over $3,200,000 in the bank. Why? Because I found that one scripture and I believed it. I was convinced it would happen. And I got other people believing with me and convinced it would happen. And it was the trigger that prompted the, the promise of God to become a reality in our life. And he'll do the same thing for you. But it takes faith. It takes faith. Faith is the trigger that gets the promises of God into your reality. And we walk by it, not by sight. Here's another key. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, I mean, he just said it this way. It's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And I missed that verse for years. I'd read it for years. It's impossible to please God without faith. But then it says, He that comes to God must believe that He is, and He is a what? Not a withholder. A rewarder. In other words, when I go to Him, He's going to give me what I ask. Most of us go to Him thinking we got to beg Him and talk Him into something. And we got to get ourselves right. And we got to get cleaned up. And we got to impress Him. And we got to do this or not do that to get Him in a position to want to bless us. But the Bible says if you have faith, you come to Him and know He's going to reward you for just coming. That translation, one translation says this. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder. 
That word rewarder means He already has His hand extended with your provision before you ever get there. All you do is go up and take it. And you've got that in mind. That's what you think when you go to pray. I'm not trying to talk him into something. He's not trying to keep me from having something. All I have to do is just go ask him. He's already got it and wants to give it to me. See? Well, glory to God. Well, here's another one. Let's... The next key. The victory for life's battle is found in our faith. The victory for life's battles is found in our faith. 1 John 5, 4. For every child of God defeats this evil world. And we achieve this victory through what? Faith. See, you just can't even win in life as a Christian without faith. Here's something I've learned. You can have faith and still live in defeat. Unless your faith is released. We release our faith by our words and our actions. You say, what does that mean? Well, how many Christians you know been in church for years and they still don't get the promises to activate in their life? How many times you say, well, ain't, ain't so-and-so. She's, she's been serving the Lord for years and her needs aren't supplied and her body's not healed. And what's that all about? You can have faith, but if you don't release your faith, it won't work. Faith has to be released. You say, what do you mean you can have faith? Well, how does faith come? Hearing. Faith comes by hearing. And if you've been in church for years, guess what you've done? You've heard. So faith has come, has it not? How does faith come? By hearing. So if faith comes by hearing, and if you've been in church for years, you have heard the word of the Lord. But just because faith has come, and just because you have it, and just because you've heard it, doesn't mean you get the promises, because faith has to be released. It has to be released. Come on, Pastor. I've never heard that before. Well, you hadn't heard right. Look with me real quickly. James chapter 2, verse 14. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing. And you, like Pastor Wayne, say goodbye and have a good day. <laughs> Go back to verse 16. Goodbye and have a good day. Bubba will help you. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. You can have faith and not release it and it won't do you any good. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Verse 19, you say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God, good for you. Even the demons believe this. And they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Well, what do you mean? What does he mean, Pastor, that even the demons believe? You mean tell me the demons have faith? Yeah, they have faith. They believe there's one God. They believe demons have faith, but they won't release it. 
They don't confess Him as Lord and Savior. They don't release their faith. Therefore, they're going to hell for an eternity and have faith. See, believing is how faith comes. Hearing is how it comes. Believing is how you get it. But to get the promises that faith brings is through releasing it, activating it. And we do that through our words and our actions. Let me show you another one. Look at Luke chapter 17. This is the one years ago that the Lord showed me. Luke chapter 17, verse number 3. Jesus said this. He said, watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. If they repent, forgive them. If they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Remember what I shared with you a week or so ago? Forgiveness is not about keeping score. It's about losing count. Forgiveness is not about keeping score. It's about losing count. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Notice what the apostles said. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. You know what they're saying? <laughs> they go up to Jesus and say, hey, 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 Jesus, how many times do I forgive a brother if he does me wrong? Jesus says, seven times. They say, all right, I got that. I can do that. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Not just seven times. Seven times seven. Seven times a day, seven days a week for the remainder of your life. And all of a sudden they looked at one another and they looked at Jesus and say, increase our faith. In other words, we don't have enough to do that. How many of you have ever thought, I need more faith? What I'm up against is bigger than I have. And I want you to know that's a lie. From the pit of hell. Jesus will never tell you you don't have enough faith. Especially if you have heard for years the word of God. They said increase our faith. And notice what Jesus said verse 6. He replied if you had faith as small as a mustard seed. You could say. You could say. You could say. You don't need more faith. You just need to release the faith you've got. How does faith release? By words and action. He, he didn't say, okay, here's what you do. Go to a, a conference. Go to church more times. Read your Bible. He said, they said, increase our faith. He replied, ah, no, no. He said, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you could release it by speaking to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it'll obey you. So when they said, increase our faith, he said, no, I don't need to increase your faith. You just need to use what you got. I'm telling you, if you've been in church for several years, you've got enough to be a victor in life. You just need to use what you've got. Just start speaking it out and acting like God's Word is true instead of what you see and what you hear. Okay? Oh, that's good. Now, here's something else. Here's another key. Faith must be taken and held on to. It must be taken and held on to. It doesn't come automatic equipment. It doesn't come automatic equipment. Nowadays, you can't buy a car without air conditioning. I mean, you remember the days when cars, that was an accessory air conditioning. It didn't come automatic equipment. A lot of people think, well, well, I got saved. I've got enough faith for the rest of my life. No, you got to take faith. You got to pick it up. You got to work on it. You got to gain it every day. Look what it says in Ephesians 6.16. In addition to all this, take up. Everybody say take up. Take up. 
Take up the shield of faith. You can leave your house every single day and leave faith shield at home. And Satan can eat your lunch. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Glory to God. Faith must be taken and held on to. you got to hold on to it. In other words, there's going to be some things that's going to come against you that's going to try to snatch faith out of you. Here's a scripture for that. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he has promised, he who promised is faithful. Hold fast. One translation says, hold fast your confession of faith. You'll start here. People here, I hear this all the time. Well, Lord, Pastor, I just started believing God and all hells broke loose against me. Anybody ever know what I'm talking about? I started tithing and all hells come against my finances. I started doing this and all hell. It just turned bad on me. Well, Satan's trying to steal your faith. You've got to hold on to it. Hold fast your profession of faith. Here's 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Moving real quickly. Faith operates from a foundation of love. Selfish desires will never give birth to faith. Selfish desires. Look at Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through what? Love. I'll close with this one. Um, there There was a mother that brought her seven year old son to me about years ago. And said, he won't sleep in his room at night. He's scared of the dark. And he, he, he just won't. And it's interrupting our sleep. And he'll come in and, and he can't get back to sleep. And it wakes us up. My husband has to get up early. And, and it just, it's messing things up. And, and we'll send him to go into his room and do the... His homework at night, he'll start crying, screaming. He's scared of the dark, Pastor. I want you to pray for him that he won't be scared of the dark. And this is where I learned this. So I laid hands on him, and I cast out the devil of fear and the dark devil and every devil I knew, and, and it didn't work. He's still scared of the dark. She brought him back the next Sunday and said, Pastor, it didn't work. He's still scared of the dark. So I, I reminded that scripture where Jesus prayed twice for the same guy. So I got a hold of him again. I cast out the dark devil out of you. She brought him back the next Sunday and said, it didn't work. He's still scared of the dark. And I never will forget leaving that day more defeated than any devil that I... I The devil had beat me up that Sunday. I left defeated. I can't even get a boy to go in his room at night. I I don't have enough power to do that. Then all of a sudden, the next week, I got scared to go in my room. I mean, that dark thing got on me. (laughs) I didn't think no more about it. In fact, every time I'd see her, I'd go the other direction because I wasn't having good results. 
And about a month later, all of a sudden, on a Sunday morning, right after service, here she comes with him, and they're at a fast pace coming toward me. And I go, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. And I start speaking in tongues under my breath, trying to work up a devil, dark devil, <laughs> casting out, you know. And, and all of a sudden, a big smile went across her face. She said, Pastor, 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 you're not going to believe it. God delivered him. I, I didn't know what was coming next. I, well, who prayed for him? You know, I don't need to lose people across town to the church because they got the devil getting out of, and I don't. So I, I said, what happened? She said, you'll never believe what happened. I said, what happened? She said, last Monday night was our, his daddy's, my husband's birthday. And on Saturday, he had picked out a, my son had picked out a pocket knife to give his daddy. His daddy likes pocket knives. And he'd picked out a pocket knife to give his daddy. And we had it wrapped up. And we went home and we put it in the glove box of the car. And uh, Sunday, we was going to give it to him Monday night. We had a birthday cake. And we had some people over. Uh, and we was going to give it to him Monday night at the birthday party. Well, he forgot to get it out of the car on Sunday. And he forgot to get it out of the car on Monday. And they got ready to blow out the candles and open up the presents. And all of a sudden, he started looking on the table and couldn't find that pocket knife in the, that, that we had wrapped up. And he asked me where it was. I said, I don't know. Last time I saw it, you put it in the glove compartment of the car to keep somebody from stealing it. And she says, it's still in the car. Well, this was in the wintertime, and it was pitch black outside. She said, Pastor, he no longer... And I didn't say... I hadn't even got the words out of my mouth, and he darted out the front door, into the dark, opened the dark car door, jumped in the front seat in the dark car, opened the glove box, got the, the pocket knife out, closed the car door, ran back in in the dark, with a big smile on his face, holding the gift to give to his daddy. And she said, it dawned on me that love was more powerful than fear. The love that young man... Now, what does the Bible say? There's no fear in love. Because perfect love does what? Cast out fear. That young seven-year-old got delivered of the spirit of fear because of his love for his daddy was greater than the spirit of fear. Well, I've remembered that for years. And I was at the, a surgeon's office. And I had a, had, a, had a bump on my head that wasn't going away. And I went to a doctor, a local doctor in town. Bubba knows who. And the doctor testified to Bubba that it was true. I went, I went and the doctor said, oh, yeah, and he called it some name. And he was a, he's a, a doctor in town. He said, we need to cut that out. That could turn into cancer. We need to cut that out. He said, you come back in next week on such and such date, and we'll cut that out. We need to get that out, Pastor. We need to get that out. So I went home. It was right up here, and he started making my hair stick out. Yeah, it was, and then, you know, once you find out you got something, then you're touching it all the time, you know. And then all of a sudden now it's, it's about, in my mind, it's way out here, you know. But it wasn't. And I, and it started bothering. And the next morning, it dawned on me. 
I had not cast that thing down. I had not prayed about it. It just I felt it and made an appointment with a doctor friend and went. And next thing I know, they're going to cut on me. And that next morning, I just sensed in my spirit, curse that thing. Curse that thing. Command it to leave. So I put my hand right up there. When I was shaving the next morning, I said, I curse you in the name of Jesus, you foul infirmity. You have no place in my body. By his stripes, I'm healed. I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. And I command you to leave my body in Jesus' name. And they will not cut on me. There will be no need. By the next week, when it was time to go, the nurse, they put me in the room. The nurses came in. The doctor came in right behind them. They had the tray with all the scalpels out there and the towels. And the doctor came in. He said, Pastor, are you ready? I said, well, yeah, I'm ready. He said, well, lay back there. I said, no, before I lay back, check my head. He said, what do you mean? I said, check my head. He put, did my hair. Then he looked on his chart. Then he checked the other side of my head. That thing was totally gone, healed by the power of God. He, he testifies to that. He told me, he says, I've never seen that healed before. God had healed me. Well, when he found out and he was eyewitness to it, he just sat down and he said, I've never seen that. We're not going to have to do no surgery. I said, he, said, he said, what did you do? I said, I just cursed it. I, I bound it in Jesus' name. Told it to leave my body. He said, well, it's gone. He said, I've never seen that before. I said, well... I, yeah, well, you hang with me, and I'll get you to where you need to, Doc. You, you hang with me. <laughs> and then this is what he said. He said, God healed you, didn't he? I said, yeah, he did. He said, can I tell you something? I said, yeah. He said, I got a son that's scared of the dark. Would you pray for him? I said, no, I'm not going to pray for him. Here's what I want you to do. Next time, what are you doing? He said, well, I fussed at him. I've got mad at him. I punished him. I've grounded him. I put him in time out. I said, you're too big for this. Stop acting this way. I said, stop that. I said, next time he does that, you just hug him. You love him. Perfect love cast out fear. He said, really? I said, yeah, you just love him. And I told him the story about the long boy and the pocket knife that I told you. It wasn't probably two months later, we had a harvest party here on the grounds, and all of a sudden I looked up, and there was the doc. I said, hey, doc. He said, hey, how you doing? I, he said, I just wanted to bring my son over here and, and let him just get on, the, on this property. He said, you know, I told you about him. He's the one that was fearful. I said, yeah. He said, I started loving him. And every time he'd run in and say he's not going there, I'd just hug him. And I'd take him in there with him and tell him how much I loved him, how much God loved him. He said, after about two weeks of that, he totally got free from the spirit of fear. See, faith works by love. Not by threats, not by begging. Faith works by love. Stand with me, would you?